1: I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself
2: This is the final word. Welcome to another show with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Uh, On the show today, we'll be talking to Derek Pringle, former England international and troublemaker, about Essex's win in the county championship and uh, other less salubrious topics aside. Uh, We've got a whole range of topics to race through ourselves. Before we chat to Derek as well, a little bit of nerd pledge off the back of the show. But um, this is the first show, Adam, since we've been separated, since we've retreated to... respective sides of the globe you're in in london i'm in melbourne the last time i saw you we were sitting at the kitchen table in my friend's apartment recording a podcast that went so far over time that Cam Fink and I very nearly missed the plane. But we made it. Uh, we got on the plane. Oh, there, there
0: was nothing There was nothing more sure in life than you two nearly missing that flight. Cam <coughs> foreshadowed it. You went to have a shower after the podcast. I said goodbye to Cam, and Cam said something to the effect of, we're going to be late for this flight, I bet you. And lo and behold, <laughs> you, you made it by three minutes.
2: We, we checked in with, I think it was more like seven minutes to spare. The, the, the funny <laughs> bit was that, like, he'd run out of... Um, Uh, he didn't have any internet connectivity so I managed to check in online on the train on the way and then I like boosted his phone up with a hotspot so he could do it but we went into a tunnel before he could finish it so I was checked in and he wasn't (laughs) and so there was was a situation there where potentially I was going to be allowed on the plane and he was not going to be allowed on the same plane Um, What do
0: you do in that situation? I suppose, I mean, there's a number of ways you can resolve that. None of them are positive, are they? You you could go and he would say it was fine, but it wouldn't have been fine. No. You can wait back with him and it wouldn't have been fine for you. (laughs) No. There's
2: no good solution. There's no good solution. The only thing um, when he raised it, um, because I hadn't quite thought of it until we got to Melbourne. And so we got off the plane and he said, hmm, would have been Pretty awkward if if I'd missed that plane by three minutes, um, and then there was about a ninety second silence, and then I said, I would have come to pick you up at the airport
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you're both safe and sound. I, I think after I left you guys, B, I, I jumped on a flight about six hours after that myself. So I've, um, I've, uh, I've been uh, decompressing after the greatest yep. season of cricket we're ever going to experience in this country. I think, which we'll talk about the back end of uh, in, in the county championship and the T20 Blast with Derek. But um, yeah, it did give me pause for thought about the sort of last four months or whatever it was been mm. and how how many things we managed to do along the way and uh, yeah it was a, it was a nice moment to reflect.
2: Well one thing that stood out to me was that you know literally the last thing we did before leaving was record that show went to the airport, got on a couple of planes for 23 hours or whatever it was I got off that plane um, came out through customs at 3:45 a.m. and there was the, the whole arrivals hall was deserted except for one bloke who was leaning against the pillar um, and as I walked past him he's like, huh Jeff. And I say hello and he's listening to the final word he's listening to the episode <laughs> that we had recorded the last thing we did before getting on the plane the first thing I heard when I got off it was your voice coming out of this out of Peter's phone speaker uh, so hello to Peter he was waiting for his wife and kid who were on the same plane and uh, waiting for their bags to come through and it was good of him to say hello and uh, I'm glad you're enjoying the show Peter I hope you're listening to this one too.
0: Oh, yeah, that's great! G'day, Peter. That's awesome. What I also love is the fact that at three forty-five in the morning at arrivals, you can just play it through your phone speaker. Don't worry about the headphones.
2: No, there was no
0: need. Do, you, you can do what you want at that time of day.
2: He wasn't bothering anyone, so that that sort of showed to me that uh, the show has got through to a few people, which which it has. We've clocked half a million downloads since the start of the World Cup, which is pretty crazy. So, thank you to everyone for listening in and and helping those numbers go absolutely through the roof, which is we're, yeah, we're very I mean, chuffed.
0: That, that, That was for the World Cup shows and the Asher shows, 500,000 downloads, and that's propelled us. I mean, this is indulgent, but I'll say it anyway. We're now the number one cricket podcast in the UK as well as Australia, which is just unbelievable, really. Um, So thanks so much to to those who are listening uh, around the world and have made this such an incredible ride um, over the last few months. We've now... Casting forward, so I'm going to be away from Jeff for the next month. Uh, then we're back together. We're reunited in Australia oh, for the first. We're going to month. run
2: through a, a meadow full of flowers <laughs> and, and embrace yeah.
0: Weilds, uh, fields of wheat as trees are mostly. So, okay, uh, we're going to be we're going to be together for um, uh, about five weeks, which will give us time for our live show in Adelaide. They're selling fast those tickets, Jeff. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us you put, the, you put the ad up a few days ago uh, what, what are the details again?
2: It's at the Ambassadors Hotel I think it's the 27th You'll correct me if I'm wrong yep. um, right. It's in the evening Happy hour goes for four hours So it's happy four hours uh, Which is as good a reason as any to get down there and, um, yeah, the tickets have been selling quickly even though we haven't really promoted them at all, which is nice. Um, and once we sort out a venue for Melbourne, we'll be putting up a Melbourne show for some time in November as well. Probably before that, I think around the middle of November, but we'll have more details yeah. on that as it comes.
0: It'll probably be the Monday before the Brisbane test match, so three three days before the first test starts in Brisbane uh, that Monday night. But we're just bedding down some details on that, so keep your ears open there. But, yes, two live shows. I'll be back for the month of November for those two tests against Pakistan, Pakistan. Australia-Pakistan. And between times, we'll have a series of podcasts in October, some of which will be Jeff and me. Some of them will be interview-based per what we did. Um, earlier in 2019 We have the technology To make it sound like We're sitting next to each other We're oh. not But it sounds like we are
2: Remarkable What we can do In this modern world Cricket news uh, Australia's women's team uh, Are about to take on Sri Lanka In a very fast And furious um, Series of T20s And one day As they're, they're barely resting They're just cramming These games in Back to back to back um, The squads have come out Some interesting developments There Adam In that uh, Heather Graham Is a chance for an Australian debut She's in the 50 over And the 20 over Over squads, Um, She's been prolific through the WBBL the last few seasons and particularly interesting as well that Elise Villani and Nicole Bolton are both out. Neither of them feature in either of the squads for a home summer, which would be the first time in a long time since Nicole Bolton made a a one-day century on debut all those years ago. 2014, I think it might have been.
0: 13-14 that summer, yeah, the Ashes series, wasn't it? That's so a long time um, ago,
2: and and Vellani's been that power hitter in in the middle for a time. But it, it it says to me that this is a changing, this is an era changing moment where those sort of legacy players who are always picked regardless of um, recent form, you know, because there, there weren't that many options to choose from are under pressure now you can't bank on being one of 15 players who gets picked routinely these days because uh, big bash players are coming through Aaron burns um, in the t20 squad and and heather graham in both squads nicola carey who's come through in the last year or so Um, taylor valamick and georgia Wareham. these kind of players who've who've come through from domestic level and are taking those spots
0: that's exactly right. So the, the series starts on the 29th of September and it's all over by the 9th of October. So six White Ball internationals in the space of 12 days. So it's, it's fairly hard going, three of which are in Sydney, the other three in Brisbane. You're spot on about the, the. Uh, I wouldn't call it a changing of the guard. Most of the names on the team sheet are familiar, but Heather Graham's a great story, a real product of that WBBL. She's only 22, but it feels like we know her really well, given that she's played what is it is that five seasons of women's big bash we've had now started in 2015 so mm-hmm. across the course of Those seasons, she's had an opportunity to play on television routinely. We know a lot about her because she's had that opportunity to be exposed, you know, on on a bigger scale, on a bigger stage with the Perth Perth Scorchers. And also she's, I think she's captains the Shooting Stars at some stage or another, which is the development squad like the Australia Mm. A team too. So she's she's had the perfect preparation to now come in, uh, a seeming all-rounder, bats middle order, always makes useful runs, always ends up um, finishing with about, you know, 200-odd runs in the WBBL and sort of 15-odd wickets. She's that kind of player. So... Yeah. um, I'm really glad she's getting an opportunity. She's been a favourite of ours in the past. That, that Valani Bolton um, uh, omission, as you say, Jeff, Vellani, even when she wasn't getting picked for the 50-over side, she was always one of the first names on the team sheet for the T20s. And I, I think we thought that would be the case in the uh, recently completed women's ashes. I, I kind of thought that they'd just bring her back um, for that component of the, of the of the tournament But that wasn't to be Nicole Bolton struggled in the women's ashes She was dropped after the test match I reckon from memory So I'm not completely surprised to see her miss out Occasionally she's not been in the one day team In the last few years But yeah, they were two senior players With you know, considerable profiles as well Both really important in their WBBL clubs And so forth So that, that's, that's a big move uh, from the selectors To make that shift As you say, Erin Burns uh, Who did make her taboo a few weeks ago in the West Indies Now gets a chance to play in both squads So yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to Following that pretty closely Of course it's immediately followed by the Women's Big Bash League Which has its own window for the first time it's Something we've been pushing for for years I'm thrilled that it's happening Great work from Cricket Australia to Separate the the Women's Big Bash From, from the men's uh, competition So that'll run from uh, I think it's the middle of October through to the start of December. The majority of that competition is played in carnivals, city by city, weekend by weekend in November. So a great opportunity um, for, for the women's game there like it was last year with those with those carnivals. But, yeah, not directly linked to the men's competition. So that, that should serve it quite nicely. And then at the back of the summer, we have the Women's World Cup or the Women's T20 World Cup. I should get used to saying that because they've, they've changed the, the nomenclature. It's no longer the World T20, uh, which will be played in Australia in February and March, culminating... On international women's day, where they're trying to sell out the MCG, it's it's a fairly ambitious goal, Jeff. But mm. even if they fell short and still got seventy five thousand or something like that, can you imagine what a way to cap the sum of that would be?
2: Yeah, there's a fair bit of distance covered with that tournament. There'll be some games in Perth, um, Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne. It's fairly condensed, so that means you know there'll be. Um, it, it's not one of those things that's going to drag on for a long time. There should be opportunities for people to consolidate attention, and then um, those semi-finals. And they have set themselves that target of trying to get 90 odd thousand into the mcg which is a laudable target and good to see them aiming high the domestic cricket has already started for the men as well which is it kind of did my head in, Adam. I, you know, I got off a plane after four months of an English cricket season, and thought, you know, I'm home at last. It's it's football season. You know, there's a big, big sound in the west of the town. Um, every, everybody's everybody's going. By the time this podcast comes out, the AFL grand final will have been run and and won, and either the Giants or the Tigers will have a flag to their name the NRL semi-finals are up and running uh, hello to dave in canberra who will be um you know weeping or elated based on whatever happens with the canberra raiders in their prelim final so so we'll be you know i have just finished afl finals we'll be deep into that NRL grand final week, and the cricket's on. It just seemed weird. It was literally two days after I got off the plane. They were playing the 50-over comp, the Marsh Cup, uh, the beautifully named Marsh Cup. So everyone's played twice at the moment, Western Australia and Queensland have got a couple of wins. South Australia and the Vicks have got one win each, New South Wales and Tasmania yet to get on the board. Uh, Glenn Maxwell's been making some runs in the middle for the Vicks. Um, Joe Burns and Matthew Renshaw have been making a bunch of runs in the middle order for Queensland as well, and and Manus has come straight back off the test tour and slotted back in. So Queensland are looking good. And um, there was that and one. just
0: on Manus. Can you just some yeah. busting for me? You'll know whether this is true or not. Is his brother captaining Japan in the rugby world cup, or is that just a Twitter thing?
2: I think that's just made up. Um, it's not. I don't think it's his brother. There are there are lots and lots of Labaskaknes around in the world.
0: No, no, no. Um, T- Twitter was, Twitter was insistent that it was his brother the other day, and I just didn't have time to digest okay. whether that was true or not. I have probably not, looked, not
2: true. I've not looked into it, but I think it's a gag because there were also a lot of people saying um, it's pretty wild that Australia have let Manus go and play for. Japan, you know, so soon after the Ashes, um, <laughs> he's big in Japan. He's he's big. He's going to play for
0: the GWA. He's going to play for the big big sound on Saturday yeah, as well. Yeah,
2: he'll <laughs> get Israel Folau at centre half forward and, and Marnus in, <laughs> in the front pocket. Well, big big Izzy's got a pretty empty dance card these days. He's um he's trying yeah. to play he's trying to play rugby league test matches for Tonga at the moment. So you know that that career move's going well. Um, Good luck, pal. Yeah, and, and, you know, a funny thing for me is when you listen to the Rugby World Cup coverage, they seem to be able to say, and nobody has a stroke. Anyway, <laughs> um, that doesn't seem to be a big problem. So, it, nonetheless, all of that's going on, but the cricket is going on as well. So, as I said, interesting to see Queensland's first-class openers down in the middle order and the 50-over stuff making lots of runs. Um, Tasmania had that bizarre collapse against Australia where they lost,
0: I think it was Victoria.
2: Five, Against Victoria, sorry. <laughs>
0: Well, most of the Victorian team have played for Australia by now, so...
2: Yeah, true. Um, but, but, you know, five... They lost their last five wickets for four runs. They needed six to win. Um, they were trying to get there before the 40 over mark to get the bonus point, and then they had about four... Well, they, they, st- they still had six wickets in hand with 14 to win, and they had about four hole-out to the boundary and then a couple of league befores, uh, and suddenly the Victorians ran through them and... One by one run, so yeah, they lost. A lot they lost
0: five, for th- lost five for three at the end. So mm. Coleman and Tremaine picked up four each, and uh, yeah, um, and one of the. I mean, the video which was clipped together um, showing all the falling of the wickets and the way the commentary progressively gets more and more crazy. You know, when they lost their fifth wicket or whatever it was, or fourth wicket it must have been when the collapse first started. Would you say they lost? Six for 14 It's mm. like, oh yeah And he's been caught in the deep And um, now Tasmania yep. required You know, 13 to win And five wickets in, hand, it, And by the end yeah. It's just frenetic It's brilliant yeah. it's, the, it's the stuff we love to hear so. <laughs> um, uh, Will also, Sutherland also, was
2: important in that game He made 50 when Victoria were pretty much pants They were in trouble And then yeah. Maxwell and Sutherland Bashed together a few at, uh, at the end And managed to get them up to something Halfway competitive Which in the end was enough was, to get them a win
0: well, Sutherland picked up three... That might have been that game as well. He picked up a three... for He had none for 113 in his first game against West Australia. So mm. he bounced back really well. Annabelle Sutherland also made runs this week uh, for the Vic Spirit in the WNCL. That started mm-hmm. too. The women's domestic 50-over competition. So... Both Sutherland siblings, uh, the daughter and son of the former Chief Executive of Cricket Australia, James Sutherland, I'm sure will be in international consideration sooner rather than later. And it will have nothing to do with their surname, by the way. They're both very capable cricketers.
2: Yeah, but probably just as well that he's got out of the way, Um, although I'm sure the Ice House hit Great Sutherland will keep being played (laughs) at grounds across the country. Um, Australia... (laughs)
0: Well, James land. I'm not sure whether it was on the podcast or on Twitter We were campaigning for them to change that yeah. it. It's been the song as Australia have run out since Best I can remember, 2003 They've been burling that out Every time Australia enters the field of play And given that we cover many test matches each year in, in Australia It means that we mm. hear that song 15 times a week. It's got to be changed. They've just got to change it up at last. Well, Come on.
2: Just, just a bit of a, a – something a bit fresh, you know. I don't know what we should get in there. Maybe we'll have a poll. <laughs> maybe write in and let us know what's, what song should replace great Vanessa Amarossi,
0: absolutely everybody. <laughs> absolutely
2: not. <laughs> I had that song stuck in my head for about seven years after the Sydney Olympics and I do not want well,
0: that. <laughs> yeah, that, that came to mind the other day because a lot of the Sydney Olympics uh, clips are doing the rounds at the moment, being the – Anniversary of it And um, It it, it did mean I went through A relatively deep dive On Wikipedia About what Vanessa Ramorossi Has been up to recently I I was pretty sure
2: I don't know if this is in The same league As that um, Manus' brother Is captaining Japan In the World Cup But someone told me that originally the lyrics to absolutely everybody were absolutely everybody is going to die and it was like an existential <laughs> angst sort of but but done as as a contrast in a poppy upbeat way and that it was actually quite lyrically deep from Vanessa and that um her record execs made made a change it to something a bit more palatable so that it could be put on you know video compilations at the end of a rugby league season or whatever it was beautiful But I don't know if that's true. Vanessa, if you're a listener, I'm sure you are. Friend of the show, Vanessa Amorosi, (laughs) get in touch. Um, Other news to get through. Australia have formally delayed their tour of Bangladesh, even though we've known for what feels like six months that they were going to delay their tour of Bangladesh um, from February to June or July.
0: So we thought they were going to. Then it was confirmed to me that it was, in hindsight, I probably should have written a story about it because it was um, confirmed by the Bangladesh Cricket Board. Uh, this week Akram Khan the, the great hero of the T20 trophy in 1998 which got them into the World Cup of 99 and we all know what happens next anyway Akram Khan these the T20 trophy uh, So that was called the, uh, the what do they call it the T20 it the trophy T20, uh, the ICC trophy it was a um, yeah. it was like the, it was before the um, Champions trophy it was right. a, an event they had for the Associate Nations and it meant that um Bangladesh were able to qualify for the 99 World Cup And Akram Khan is the total hero in in mm. Chittagong, I interviewed him there a couple of years ago Anyway, he's now the Director of Operations Or something on, on the cricket board And mm-hmm. he just said it in a press conference Oh yeah, we, we're we not playing in February uh, So it caused a bit of a stir in Bangladesh With that news confirmed Because well, there's such a terrible track record With Australian tours yep. of Bangladesh And also Bangladesh, more 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 prominently Bangladesh's tours of Australia than, than the other way around but all the same um, being delayed and cancelled and so forth that there is a degree of skepticism understandably a lot of tweets came our way when that news was revealed although it, it's been it, CA have been effusive with me that it's definitely going ahead in well June next year it, it is some world I mean, Test
2: championship points so that's probably the one thing that that really means that there no there are a lot less chance of pulling out because there are points on the line so presumably they would concede those points if they don't go.
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly it. So I, I don't see a scenario really where they couldn't go. Um, I don't know what the provisions are in this new World Test Championship about not going um, or not going on security grounds. I'm sure there's something built in there so that Australia can pull out of tours as and when they feel like it. But um, I'm sure they'll, they'll want to go in, in, unless they can find a credible excuse to skip it. There's also some delay around or some um, basically there was meant to be T20s in October next year in Bangladesh according to the BCB
2: mm.
0: um, now they've been uh, d- delayed yeah. until before the T20 World Cup in uh, India the following year in 2021.
2: Right, so, so that they can use know. that as, as gearing up time for that um, because we're having so many T20 World Cups now and they're, they're going to come around every nine months or so, uh, so we did yeah, know how, about how, this what's,
0: what's, what's, I, I, still I can't quite work that out by the way, so there's been no T20 World Cup since 2016 for the men Yep. So they've got a four-year cycle till 2020. Then we've got them in consecutive years. I mean, I don't really quite understand how that
2: yeah, all works out. Because they're going to an every two-year thing, I think that's the idea. Um,
0: but it was every two years until 2016, wasn't it?
2: But they've changed their mind about that so many times that uh, like, it, it just keeps switching back and forth. So there was a four-year gap till 2020, and then I think it goes back to two-year gaps after that, I mean, we should know these things, but I can't even keep up with it because they change their minds so often. And then basically it's because that Indian season, you know, it needs to be during a summer season for Australia, but then – um, a, a suitable season in India, and so back and forth we go. But you know, as long as we, as long as we're now sure that they'll only ever be in England, Australia, and India, because they're the only countries that can host ICC tournaments now, because they want to get the cash. So that's good. That's great. Um, <laughs> now. <laughs> Another thing that that might have some mixed opinions is that Greg Chappell's time as a national selector has come to an end. Uh, pl- there have been plenty of people who've disagreed with many Greg Chappell things, but there are probably a, a bunch of Greg Chappell things that he got right over the journey as well. But um, he's decided it's time to call it off as the the national talent pathways manager or whatever that word salad title was. And, and more importantly, as one of the um, three strong selection panel.
0: Yeah, this news was broken by Dan Bredig in uh, in January when we were in Canberra. It might have been February. Uh, that, that story uh, emerged that he would um, hang up the boots at age 70, which he is now at the end of the Ashes series, um, which concluded a couple of weeks ago. So that all lines up with expectation. Uh, look, uh, yep, there'll, there'll be plenty of scrutiny about a lot of different elements of it. But what I would say is that... Um, a story like Steve Smith might not be possible without Greg Chapel. So, um, yep, there'll be criticism of different points along the way And, and a lot of players have have voiced those criticisms uh, in the media and uh, Before this announcement But um, this is probably a time to, to celebrate um, What's been a, a magnificent contribution to Australian cricket As a, a player, as a member of the board When he, when he finished playing, uh, playing uh, for Australia And then subsequently as the talent manager, national selector and so on and so forth. So he's uh, he's done plenty for Australian cricket more than most of it could con- conceive of doing. So congratulations to Greek Chapel, and I hope he enjoys a long and uh, and and, uh, and uh, rewarding retirement. I'm sure he'll still be involved in the game. That's what I was going to try and say. Like he will retire, but I'm sure he won't really retire. The, the, people like Greek Chapel don't don't just uh, don't just put the feet up and play golf, do they? <laughs>
2: no there'll be every time you think he's gone he'll be there you say Greg Chappell's name three times in the mirror and then you turn around he'll be there throwing you a catch with a bread roll <laughs> um, let's, let's race through the the England squads for New Zealand were interesting in a couple of ways mainly so given that Johnny besto has been left out of the test squad I, I thought that might just be a a management thing more than a sort of signal for the future thing In that he's played a million hours of cricket since May um, and, and they might have just yeah. been giving him a tour off
0: But Ed Smith made it pretty clear though that um, that he's been dropped Whilst acknowledging the point that he's played more cricket than most It's uh, As a three format player, a wicketkeeper and so on But they've, mm. they've made the decision to give him a spell um, They want him to come back as a test player the way he was in 2016 When he made... I think it was 1,470 runs, 400s along the way that year, mm-hmm. one of the most prolific years ever in Test cricket. But since then, he's averaged in the 20s. He averaged 19 uh, this year across the Island Test match and the five against Australia. So um, it, it made sense for him to make way, given they've got another wicketkeeper in the side in Joss Butler. A little bit surprised they didn't take Ben Folks. He went yeah. on tour to Sri Lanka last year and was player of that series. Uh, he was called in for Johnny Bairstow when he got injured, actually. So there's been a lot of... Uh, Uproar uh, down, at, uh, down at the Oval uh, That Ben Fokes has missed out But it does mean that Butler gets a chance to keep uh, as, the, as the stand-alone keeper I suppose for the first time since 2015 In that side um, Jason Roy's also been dropped altogether Of course he missed out on the final test match But he's been uh, now jettisoned from the squad Entirely replaced by Zach Crawley And Dom Sibley I think we expected that really uh, Most people who yeah. follow County cricket Really closely Are thrilled to see These two boats Get an opportunity Sibley's the one Who's got the numbers though Sibley's 24 uh, He opens at Warwickshire He made 215 Not out And 109 Last week Against Nottinghamshire So he timed that Quite nicely But already 12 first class tons He Top the run scorers list in Division One this year. He made 1,324 runs, made five tonnes. The next best was 975 runs. So if anyone has earned their chance, uh, it's Dom Sibley. Um, Zach Crawley's been talked about for years as well. He's only 21, but again, he had a pretty strong season, 820 runs, a couple of tonnes along the way, another opener. So they've got some young talent they're blooding through. The fact that this is not being played for World Test Championship points, I'm sure, helps inform... These decisions, like the, the opportunity to give these guys a, a taste when there's not quite as much riding on it uh, as mm. it would be if they were playing for... It's, it, we're going to see some of these odd series, aren't we, where they're not being played for points. So they'll, they'll just be, you know, your, your stock standard bilateral um, tour, but there'll be a few of them before. And the other guy into the squad, Jeff, which is completely expected is Olly Pope. This was meant to be the year of Olly Pope, 2019. Um, he played three tests against India last year. He was rushed into the squad to bat number four, and it didn't quite go to plan. He'd never really batted number four before. He'd always batted in number six for Surrey, but mm. everyone expected that he would go bananas after making a massive double ton over in the UAE in the uh, opening game of the season, um, which is the, the traditional season opener, like an, uh, the, the championship game. Uh, But then he hurt his shoulder. I think it was in the one-day cup. I reckon it's when he uh, hurt his shoulder fielding down at third man. I was there that day. He missed a whole chunk of the season. But at the back end, he he returned and made it 221 not out a couple of weeks ago, averaged 80 for the season. He averages 61 in first-class cricket. So of any of the players who who is coming through in England cricket, this is the guy who they're looking at as a a long-term prospect and now who get a second opportunity at test level.
2: Yeah, look, I I watched Crawley and Sibley bat in... The Lions game against Australia, a, and I can't say there was a huge amount that leapt out in terms of just watching them um, from a technical perspective that said these are going to be great prospects for England, but they've got the numbers over a period of time, so they've earned a the chance. The really weird thing with the Bairstow story for me is that he's got a test contract. They've just done, redone the contract lists, and besto has got a white ball contract and a test contract. And then a few days later, he's dropped from the test squad. Surely if you're putting him on notice that he needs to prove himself to get back into the test team, why does he have an all-formats contract? And then you've got Joe Denley who has played well in the Ashes and made some runs but hasn't done a lot in the white ball formats. He's got a white ball contract but no test contract. Um, And then you've got a guy like Liam Plunkett who has not got a white ball contract despite being England's best bowler in the World Cup final a couple of months ago you know Mm. and, and the sort of rationale is well he won't be at the World Cup in four years time but also I mean who cares like England are barely playing 50 over cricket in the next couple of years but they're playing a lot of T20 cricket and he's someone who could be useful there so there just seem to be some weird things going on with those contracting decisions
0: yeah, you got a feel for Plunkett, don't you? But uh, there, there's a couple of ways of interpreting it. One is that almost mission accomplished. He's the oldest player in the side. He's had a long international career and, and they are looking to the future and they've, they've said as much about him. Um, yeah, yeah, the Bairstow decision to give him an all-formats contract is on the basis that they want him back in the test side soon, but they just don't. See him as being pickable Right at the moment I reckon Bairstow Will come back as a batsman I think this is as much Of anything a kick up the arse And saying look um, Concentrate on one discipline Um, Let it be batting Let someone else keep They've been trying to Engineer this for a while He batted Number three, when he returned to the side in Sri Lanka last year and didn't have the gloves and made a defiant century, um, one of his best in Test cricket. By all reports, I didn't see it; I was in the Caribbean at the time. But those that covered it said it was a wonderful century. So maybe the the plan here is the is to make him um, sort of reevaluate where he's at and give the gloves up. And I know there's a lot of reasons why he wants to keep for England, and I'm not diminishing that. And I understand that he's kept considerably better um, in the last couple of years to when he was making runs, as it happens. But um, yeah, I think the way back for him is going to be in the top order where they've been so fragile and not having to worry about keeping for days and days on end, especially when they've got Josh Butler who a lot of the time bats as a specialist at number 7. Like, it, it feels like that's more logical to let him keep and bat down at 7 so he has enough time to recuperate rather than Bairstow who a lot of the time had to do the job at number 5. So mm. they, they've got some structural decisions to make but usually these are the types of calls they make after an Ashes series so it's the right time to be Having these conversations They've also picked Sakib Mahmoud From Lancashire He's another right arm quick Who's done really well In the Royal London Cup He had a massive 50 over summer Did well in the blast As well And backed it up So he's got himself A, a tour Both in the tests And the, the T20s And the one I absolutely Am madly into Is Matt Parkinson He's a young leggy I watched him bowl Three years ago As a teenager And I can't remember Who he bowled out But he, he he's a Glorious uh, looking leg spinner. He's a bit tubby, like Shane Warne. He's got the blonde hair as well. Um, mm-hmm. He rips his leg break, but also rips his wrongen uh, which can be equally dangerous for him. He's, um, he's uh, he found out he was in at the England squad via the Apple Watch of one of his teammates going off in the field. I <laughs> saw so uh, Fish Fish, uh, fish had a, a little nugget on Twitter about that the other day. So that's quite a, a nice way to uh, nice way to find out. I didn't know How, you how are you allowed watches. to have one? How are you? Allowed? Aren't you supposed yeah. to be in a communications blackout? Well, not in county cricket so much. You're allowed to have okay. your phone when playing county cricket, but it's on the f- it, but why would you have your phone on the field playing yeah, county cricket? It's not not non, non televised games. Well, I mean in the in the uh, in the viewing area. So if if you're in the viewing area oh, watching right. your team bat, you can't have your phone for probity reasons. But if the game's not being televised, that's not as much of an issue, I guess, for the same. Okay. Thing reasons of betting and so forth uh, still but yeah so. I,
2: I was just imagining the bloke at short cover with his apple watch getting you know uh time to bowl or no ball you know it's, it seems a bit sad
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway watch for parkinson I've, i really enjoyed uh, watching him come through uh then there's the 5t20s they've also got tom banson who is the new kevin peterson so everyone's telling us he's very very impressive to watch i, I walked past him in taunton during the women's ashes test with vish and he's a Big lad. He's, uh, he hits the ball a bloody mile. He made his first T200 this year for Somerset in their campaign. Um, he looks like he's got all the tricks as well, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, Pat Brown uh, gets an opportunity from Worcestershire. He's done that via a big season in the blast. 21-year-old right arm quick. And Lewis Gregory, who's been around for a while at Somerset, 27 years old now, an, an all-rounder bowling most of the time. He's also got his chance through the T20 competition. So they're, they're mixing things up a little bit, England, ahead of the T20 World Cup. They won that trophy in mm. 2010, but on the back of what they were able to achieve in the World Cup this year, 50-over World Cup, they, they'd be, there's no reason why they couldn't go and win the thing, given they, they did make the final in 2016.
2: No, Well, it, it's the old and the new, I, I guess, with the way that you've laid things out there, with Owen Morgan still there as the captain, and yeah. Moen Ali has been signed up with the, that white ball only contract and then you've got these new players coming through like like Banton and Saqib Mahmood he's um I, I heard an interview with him doing the one of the BBC podcasts the other um, a few days ago and he's uh he's a very likable sort of young fella he was very he was very honest about when he said when Ed Smith called him um, and said you're in the test squad and then he said I just didn't hear anything he said for the rest of the call i just like said i said yes a lot um and then at the end he said do you have any questions and i said um i probably can't admit that i just didn't listen to a word he said so no i don't have any questions ed thank you um,
0: <laughs> well good see you at the airport mate
2: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so he's 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 quite uh, self-effacing and and entertaining um something we'll be keeping a close eye on in the next few weeks will be india south africa Test series that's coming up, South Africa touring over there. They've just finished the T20s, won all. Um, there was a, a classic Coley run chase in that first game. You know, the, I think it was at Mahali, actually, where he had mm. that great run chase against Australia back in 2016. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So, so he was back in touch there. South Africa hit back and, and won the next match, and then they had a washout. So uh, they finished that all square. But the Test series should be... Pretty interesting for a range of reasons. One, Jasper Boomerang is out for a few months with a back stress fracture, which is really bad news for... You know, well, it, you still have to say the most exciting young quick bowler in the world, even though, even though Rabada and Cummins and and Joffre Archer are running around. Boomer, the the way he bowled in the West Indies was just otherworldly. He's out, and so then it's like, a, I guess, really a question: of what India try to do? You know, whether they have decks for their fast bowlers or decks for their spinners, because they've got you know a, a strong hand in both in the squad that they've picked.
0: Yeah, the, the Boomer um, injury. Was it inevitable, bowling the way that he does, that he would pick up a a back injury at some point? I don't know. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not here to talk about the biomechanics. That's not really our bag. But I think
2: any fast um, bowler, it's inevitable at some point, isn't it? You know that South Africa yeah. Australia series, Cummins and Rabada were both injured at by the end of that series, and Stark. I think it maybe it's just the workload and the intensity means yeah. that you will get injured at some point.
0: I guess this guy because of his short run up and um, the fact that he hasn't. Carried many injuries so far He plays all three formats Of course a star of the IPL And all the rest of it Plays a lot of cricket for a fast bowler Barely gets a rest um, So yeah it, it's, it's a shame it, It's likely he'll miss three months I read one report So he could come back um, later Well at the start of next year When Australia are visiting for one day As that might be Boomer's return So we'll keep an eye on that The three test matches Which start on the 2nd of October uh, They're at Visakh, And then they're at Pune, And then they finish at the Rancho Relaxo So another test match for Ranchi. Glad to hear that. Um, when we were at the Test at Ranchi a couple of years ago, they were saying to us they weren't sure when they would get another opportunity to, yeah. to host a Test. They were the 27th Test venue that India have had. They share it around a lot more there than they do in Australia and England. And um, yeah, it's good. I'm glad to see that because they they put on a great show. It's a it's a a, a city which doesn't have. A lot of affluence. It's fair to say it's a city which uh, has been down on its luck more often than not. But um, they 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 did a great mm. job hosting that test. So good on them for getting another opportunity.
2: Well, Vishakhapatnam's only had one test match before, and um, I don't think Pune's had many either, has it?
0: I, I reckon it might be Pune second as well, because Pune's yeah. first one was the uh, of course the, the Steve O'Keefe twelve for seventeen right. match when the pitch got um got slated by the ICC after the fact. Um, so and, and of course that was over in two and a half days. So yeah, way back to Puna.
2: I couldn't remember if that was the first one there because I knew I knew there were a couple of yeah, firsts yep. in that series. Yeah, there um, was
0: three. There was, there was Puna, Ranchi and Durham Shala all right. had their first test match in that Could,
2: series. I thought in my head it was two, so I was thinking Durham Shala and, and Ranchi. But yeah, so so Vishakhapatnam yeah. only had their first test a couple of years ago as well. So you know some some unused or underused or newly used venues. In India for those games And you know I'm, I'm keen to see it Because if they If they have Pitches for the fast bowlers Because they've still got Umesh Yardov They've got Mohamed Shami They've got Ishan Sharma All bowling really well Up against South Africa's quicks With Ngidi and Rabada And then South Africa have picked um, a spin heavy squad if they need it. You know, they've got Keshav Maharaj, of course. But they've got Dane Peet coming along as well. And they've got Senyuran Mutasami, who's a left arm orthodox spinner who's played a fair bit of first class cricket. Um, got some pretty respectable numbers as well. So they've got options. And then India have got Kuldeep. They've got. Jadeja and they've got Ravi Ashwin. So, whichever way it goes, you know, it could be a really good bowling battle.
0: I'll tell you what, do you know who South Africa would love to bring into the squad right now? It's Simon Harmer. I'll tell tell you what, what. Simon Harmer right in right now. He's the informed spinner in the world and he's not playing international cricket, which will, I guess, is probably not a bad time to segue into segment two because we're going to talk about Simon Harmer with Derek Pringle.
2: That is a good point, Adam. Let's go and talk to the very entertaining Derek Pringle in just a moment after I tell you about satphoneshop.com. I know everybody's been a gog to hear about the latest developments in the satellite phone world because, so i tell you what, the torrent of emails we get saying, tell us more about satellite phones. Am I right?
0: Get me a sat phone. Tell me all about it, Jeff. What are we going to learn today?
2: Um, well we're going to learn that you can actually rent sat phones as well as buying them so it's not a commitment thing if you're if you're commitment phobic if you're <laughs> one of those people who's always saying like oh i mean i like i like hanging out with you and like oh, you know i'm sort of interested to see where it goes I, I just don't really want to put a label on it well don't put a label on this because then you'll have to peel it off before you return it because <laughs> it's a rental um, it, and, uh, and there's there's also a sat phone shop guarantee which is that short term or long term they will not be beaten on price they they will not. They will not be beaten. There is a Churchillian speech in which uh, I'm sure Simon Wallace stands at We the, will
0: dial you on the beaches. Yes. We will give you a big, big sound from the west of the town. Yeah. If you can... The, the thing
2: about satphoneshop.com is that you can listen... To the Greater Western Sydney theme song from anywhere
0: in the world, because you can get. I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been, uh, I've been banned by my pregnant partner from listening to the song anymore. She said to me last night, "If you play that fucking thing one more time, doesn't swear often, Rach? I'm going to kill you." So i have just <laughs> pl- walking around the house playing it over and over again. <laughs> um, you, I've got to you take your instructions. You know,
2: you have headphones at it. Like you could just put your headphones in.
0: <laughs> no, it's not my way, is it? Though, is it?
2: No, you, you, you're you just... you're I'm just, like our, I'm like our you're Peter at the airport last week. You're Peter, no, Peter at the, at the airport, airport with no headphones, just just blasting big, big sound into the, the arrivals <laughs> hall, just getting the full, the full acoustics. I
0: started the week... I, I've got to say, uh, Simon Wallace from Phone Shops are ra- a, a rabid Richmond supporter, so he may not like me saying this, but it's the truth. Uh, uh, this time last week, I think I wanted Greater Western Sydney to fold. I did think my, my disposition was there are nothing plastic... Bullshit, AFL concoction, Frankenstein, all the usual cliches. I don't want them anywhere near this. Can the Tigers, let's go again. But due to big, big sound, I want the Greater Western Sydney Giants to win every year. I am <laughs> converted. I, I, I'm such a sucker for a meme uh, that I'm now in forever.
2: <laughs> you want
0: them to throw peat <laughs> well, 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 I've got to be at the pub at 4.30 tomorrow morning in order to watch this bloody thing. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to go straight from out and about, straight to the straight to the game. I'm not going to sleep. I'm going I'm to push straight through and I'm going to wear orange tonight.
2: Yeah, and you're going to buy a trumpet at some point between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to find a shop that will sell you a trumpet <laughs> and you'll learn to and play it. learn how to play it. <laughs>
1: <But I> might,
0: <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> That's not the craziest idea. I've got a bit of time this afternoon. I might try and learn how to play the refrain and, <laughs> and, uh, and take it along to the pub.
2: I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I, I didn't actually say it on the show. But yeah, we, I went into the ABC at South Bank to do that um, BBC cross the other, what, well, yesterday at the time we were recording this on Thursday in, in real world time. And I was walking up the stairs to the TARDIS booth whistling. <whistles> We know, whistling the Greater Western Sydney theme song, turned the corner and on the landing there's Harry Angus from the Cat Empire who wrote the song, doing a TV cross, <laughs> holding his trumpet. And I was like, oh, sorry, I've just interrupted your cross by whistling your song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, that song, uh, 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 another thing I mentioned off air, but it's worth saying because my dad will like this. In 2011, my dad was sort of vaguely involved with GWS when it was starting before their first season in 2012 and they were... They were they were they were writing. They were asking people to write the song, and he wrote a song um, for GWS <laughs> to the to the um, to the music of the Road to Gundagai, and it was a really clever song. and The, the Daily Telegraph, I think, at the time, wrote a piece about the various competing options and. Dad's song made the final. It came runner-up to Big Big Sound, and I've got to say, I'm glad that Dad did that. And it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great alternative theme song. But I, I've got no sympathy right now. I'm Big Big Sound all the way.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a classic Dad effort though to write a song to the road of <laughs> road to Gundagai. <laughs> like, like, as, yeah. As, yeah, as
0: well, a, it made sense geographically, obviously. Given, given the road from west Sydney mm. to Melbourne, you would go through Gundagai, yeah. wouldn't you?
2: Yeah, but it's just a it's just a real dad option. There'd be a dog dog on the tucker box line on there. As, I'm sure as, there was. Yeah. As our friend Dave from Canberra says, dads are really good for knowing exactly how many millimetres of rain have fallen overnight. Um, <laughs> and, a, <laughs> and I think squarely in that bracket is, I'm going to write the Road to Gundagai song. So anyway, that's all a, a, an elongated way of saying that if you want to listen to big, big sound anywhere in the world, on a mountaintop, in the middle of a desert, in, in the middle of the ocean, you can go to satphoneshop.com um, and you if can... Yeah, if you you can If you want want to follow the grand final
0: This is it isn't it If you want to follow the grand final I'll give you another grand final um, Anecdote while we're going While we're down this gully Last year For the grand final I couldn't be On ground for it I had to fly that morning There's no way around it I was flying So I made sure I was flying With Norwegian Air Because I know they have They have um, Wi-Fi So I watched the grand final um, Next to the aforementioned Rach who was very embarrassed, and another person to my right who couldn't believe what was going on when I was crying during the last quarter. Got no investment in Collingwood, nor West Coast. Just grand finals do funny things to me, especially when they (laughs) are resolved by a kick. But had I had my sat phone with me, had I gone to sat phone shop before (laughs) Before this whole thing, I wouldn't have needed to have flown Norwegian Air. I could have simply flown with my sat phone and watched it on the plane on any airline. So yeah. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but I assume it is. Yeah. Um, and if well, it's I have not, no idea whether that's cre- true, but it could be. <laughs> ask, ask for forgiveness, not permission yeah. when doing a live read. I think, um, get, I think ask phone. them.
2: Contact, if you're listening, contact satphoneshop.com and ask them. They'll tell you. They've got a phone number too. It's 1300 368 611. I, who, who rings people anymore? You will if you have a sat phone, I'll tell you that On much. your sat phone. All right. That's, uh, that's enough about that. Let's go and get on our sat phone and call Derek Pringle. G'day, guys. This is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon.
0: We're thrilled to have on the final word a man that played 74 times for England, 30 times in Test cricket between 1982 and 1993, including the World Cup final of 92. Since retiring, uh, he spent most of his time when not trawling record shops writing about cricket. He's the author of the acclaimed book, Pushing the Boundaries. Cricket in the 80s, he took 884 wickets for Essex and made over 10,000 runs which is why we've got him on, because Essex have gone and done the double this week, the T20 Blast and the County Championship. It's none other than Derek Pringle. G'day, Derek. Thanks for joining The Final Word.
1: Great to be on, mate.
0: Derek, winning the double, it's something you had the, the great privilege of doing with Essex a couple of times, well, in the six times that Essex won the county championship uh, in your tenure, uh, ranging from, well, starting in 79, I guess, when you're a student, but in 84 as well. And like, what what sort of, how big a deal is it for a county these days when there's so many teams in the competition to go and win two trophies? Well, there's
1: only one one more team in the competition than back in my day, because there was <laughs> there were uh, uh, 17 counties and not 18 now because Durham hadn't quite joined us then um but yeah it's it's tough i mean i think these days in, in the era of sort of um, specialists, white and red ball specialists even 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 more difficult because county staff especially for a club like essex it can't be too large so uh, you, you've got to make do with with players across both formats and or, or and uh, essex have done that brilliantly this year i mean in the past, I think they've, they've kind of been white ball pretenders a little bit and, and never before made a final. But uh, this year they went the whole way, having had a, a late surge in the, in the group stages.
2: But it's also been a fair transformation for Essex after a pretty quiet period. I remember being down there in 2015 talking to Don Topley about the glory days of the 80s, but it seemed like things had been fairly fellow for a couple of decades and then they've um, absolutely surged since that promotion and up to the first division a couple of seasons ago.
1: Yeah, I think I think uh, in Championship cricket to, w- to win the Championship, uh, I think above all you need you need bowlers going to take wickets, and and then suddenly I think Essex happened upon them. The, the arrival of Simon Harmer as a coal pack, I mean he is a tremendous spin bowler. It doesn't seem to matter what the surface is, he gets it gets the ball to grip, uh, and and that's very handy because now that the Championship unfortunately has been pushed to the margins of the season, and you and you expect then really seam bowlers to dominate, but he he's managed. Take heaps and heaps of wickets, and of course they also got Jamie Porter on board, very steady, and uh, and now uh, Sam Cook, uh, similar to Porter in a way that he he nags away, and uh, if there's any help in the pitch, uh, Essex are all over you.
0: Let's start with Harmer. I mean, what an amazing story! He takes 83 wickets in the Championship, and what was it, seven wickets on Finals Day uh, at Birmingham last week? Great recruit to the club, but. Um, interesting story around him really isn't there because being a coal pack now isn't the most secure living given that brexit could eliminate his opportunity to be at the club unless he remains as an overseas player which isn't to say that essex wouldn't want to keep him under any circumstances but you know the conversation around coal packs has evolved somewhat given the political situation
1: yeah i, I kind of raised that a, a few years ago for a piece i was going to write and, and nobody's been that interested in it at the time. but obviously he could come home to bite a few counties now mm. Um I think I think Essex would be very happy to have him as their as their premier overseas player if that should be the case but I mean he's um he's been in residence now for 3 years he's probably only got a, another couple of before he's eligible to play for England has not he I am not I'm not <laughs> sure how it works Well that.
0: yeah n- not <laughs> uh, 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 yeah Fair enough, fair enough to jump to that conclusion, I suppose, given uh, what's happened recently, but in order to become an England player, I looked into this before the season started with Dwayne Olivier when he went to play for Yorkshire, he said that he wanted to be an England international, but that's easy enough, relatively speaking, when you've got a British passport like Jofra Archer, that requires three years of being in the country for 210 days consecutively. So, I mean, there's some oddities there, isn't there? Like um, Mark Cosgrove could now play for England on that basis, would you believe? But um, but in order for Harmer to do it, he'd need to first get citizenship and then start his three-year qualification process. So, yeah, I, I think that sometimes those two things get somewhat conflated. But, you know, the story of Kolpak's generally uh, is one that, you know, there's this assumption that they come for riches, but it's not quite as straightforward as that. He's, he's talked recently in a couple of interviews that he moved to Essex for a £30,000 deal. It's not as though he came over here expecting to be a millionaire.
1: No, but he goes... Uh, I guess if he still makes his home in South Africa, um, thirty grand goes a long way because the pound has yeah. lost value against yeah. most currencies, but not seemingly the rand. So I think um, he he probably... I think, you know, a lot of those guys, they want a bit of certainty in their lives. I mean, he has played touch cricket for South Africa, but uh, with the affirmation process, uh, he's not always guaranteed a place. And I think he felt that... Uh, you know, he was a pretty good bowler, and we've seen that he is. Um, um, he wanted certainty in uh, joining county cricket, like like a lot of South African players. Uh, seems to have been the way they've they've gone.
2: The Australian angle on Essex is basically that it's an Australian club now because Peter Siddle's been so prominent there after the you know the last couple of years. I suppose Mark Waugh playing there in the eighties as well. Um, that's you know that there's a bit of Australian uh, love for Boda, Essex. Alan Border,
1: Jeff. Alan
2: Border. Yeah, he wasn't too bad either. Um, <laughs> but they, I'm told they had cardboard cutouts of Peter Siddle circulating in the team rooms after they um, had that last rained-off draw and clinched the championship on that basis.
1: They certainly did, uh, uh, on the, you know, I was watching the on you know, Tally and Sky, uh, and, and they had him, uh, um, you know, the team photo had a cardboard cutout of, of Sid's. <laughs> He's obviously a very popular inclusion, uh, and uh, he got a good spraying of champagne.
0: <laughs> yeah, I heard Ryan, uh, Ryan was talking about this, the captain, saying that in terms of an international player, a lot of quality cricketers could come to a club, but... Someone like Peter Siddle that, that can train a bowler like you mentioned Sam Cook. I mean the way he's come on in the last couple of years under the tutelage of Peter Siddle. Jamie Porter has obviously been a star already, but that the the, the sort of the the completed attack with Siddle at, and also was the reason he got back to playing for Australia. It's easily forgotten that he was so far behind the pack two years ago after missing a couple of seasons through injury and. Takes a truckload of wickets in the county championship for Essex. And and there you go. So it's a nice story. Everyone won out of that one. The last round, that last game, Derek, unfortunately it was a rained off draw. But we still got some drama. Um, Essex picking up uh, at one stage yesterday. Sorry, Essex rather, losing 9 for 39 in their first innings. uh, And then Somerset declaring it none for none due to all the rain that had been around. Setting... Um, Essex 63 to win, thinking that, well, if we take another 9 for 39, we could be with a chance of winning it in the space of the final hour of the season. It wasn't quite to be, so it was a bit disappointing that um, the final round was played closer to Christmas than it was the summer solstice.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I always remember another Australian now, um, Richie Benner, saying I don't know why they don't play deeper into September. He said it's always the nicest weather. And uh, (laughs) often he's right. But, um, yeah, (laughs) the Knights are drawing in um, um, and, and it was a 5.30 finish but um, the pitch was was I, I mean I'm not sure of the protocols, they keep changing them about you know, pitches that you get fined 25 points or whatever but I mean that was a big gamble on Thomas Park Parks, mm. that was a rubbish pitch uh, let me tell you, I mean <laughs> we I played in 1989 when we were robbed of the championship by being fined 25 points for a substandard pitch and the pitch at Southend that we were done for was an absolute belter compared to that one. <laughs> uh, the,
0: uh, the 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 final sort of analysis of the whole thing in terms of where Essex is that um, was to a certain extent and not not without merit, overshadowed by the, the the Marcus Triscothic story really this week, wasn't it? I mean, what an amazing um, career coming to a close. He didn't play but he did come onto field briefly in the last few overs. Um, in that familiar position, that second slip on his hands and knees wearing the helmet, it was a, a nice way to go out, really, given that he was able to play at his home ground and they didn't manage to win their, their first championship title, but what a contributor for, over such an incredible period of time from 1993 to 2019.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, longevity. I mean, Traskovi, he, he's played some of the great innings that I've watched from, from the press box. Um, and it was a real, a real shame that it, um, you know his international career ended as it did um uh, i mean it's quite interesting mike allison uh, wrote a lovely piece in the times uh, mm. uh, or yesterday actually um, um, saying that you know time passing you, you know it's time passing when he used to open the batting with truscott and yet this summer um, truscott played against his son for <laughs> somerset seconds when they played against Middlesex seconds so uh, you know that that uh, sp- he spanned the generations old tres and uh, a lovely guy and a real, really fantastic batting talent. Uh, and Somerset will miss him. They won't. They won't find. They won't unearth another one like him. Pretty that quickly.
2: It's a little bit like uh, Shivnarine Chanderpaul batting with his son in a first-class match a couple of years ago in the Caribbean. Um, but yeah, Adam likes <laughs> to to draw his links between you know which players played with which players, and and he always links up Triscothic with Chris Tavarek because then you get about another you know. 20 years before Triscothic's career that Tavare spans as well.
1: It would be nasty, nasty, nasty incident if there was a run-out between the China Pools,
0: wouldn't it? <laughs> 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 that, that Tavare thing, I went through it the other day. I'm kind of obsessed with this. Tavare was was Triscothic's captain on De Boer in May 93, um, and In a game, I should add, that that Atherton played in. In that, in that column, he notes that Triscothic um, was against Lancashire. They were playing that day, Somerset. But anyway, um, Triscothic is a teenager. His captain's yeah, um, Chris Tavare, so after he left Kent um, Tavare turned sixty five next month and he was a teammate of Marcus triscothics, and the two of them collectively span the last forty six years of the county championship derek it's it's kind of amazing that you can you can still get that it's got a bit of the it's got a little bit of the um uh, well, you, you don't see it in many sports, do you? Where you can have a player that can play over several decades.
1: You don't. Um, and, and looking at the way Trez was moving <laughs> yesterday when he ran on, perhaps he <laughs> overstayed his welcome a little bit. But no, no. I mean, you know, you don't. Uh, I guess in bowling and batting, you can keep going uh, into your into forties. I think Graham Gooch did it, didn't he? I think he was just early forties when he retired. Mm. Of course, uh, they say old um, uh, Jack Hobbs didn't he? Didn't he make 50 hundreds or something after his 40th birthday.
0: Or hundred hundreds 100s? I think, yeah, you got 50 of his 100s, I think. I mean, well, there's, there's Brian Close who came, I think, what, what he he played in 1949, he made his debut and played all the way through to 1960 something. Well, sever- sorry, rather, 70 something, wasn't it? Uh, Brian Close managed to to span uh, yeah, four decades I, I think in his the group.
1: record holders, Fred Tiffness, played in five or six decades.
0: What we <laughs> Either way, it's, it's one of the beautiful quirks of the county championship. Sp- speaking of the health of the competition more broadly, um, next year um, the 100 arrives. Uh, and it's going to be an enormous uh, year for England cricket whether they can capitalize on the success of the biggest summer ever and all the rest of it and the World Cup and you know fairly remarkable uh, finals day last week as well um, Essex and Somerset aren't primary clubs for the hundred they're playing a role as almost feeder clubs to the the bigger counties who are getting those opportunities um, how do you think the, the hundred will intersect with the championship and, um, and and how do you think that the health of the game will be added to or otherwise next year?
1: Well, it's been getting every chance to succeed the 100, isn't it? I mean, it's in the, in the prime slot in the, in the summer when the weather should be at its best. They're absolutely putting an enormous amount of money into marketing it. Um, um, my slight worry is that, you know, that, that whoever's done the research is, is, is pinning their hopes on this sort of almost mythical audience, urban audience that's going to exist, that's going to want this this product. Um and if it is a success, uh, you're going to almost have to give the tickets away, I think, to start with. People who have made the blast of success will suddenly start saying, hang on a second, we're paying 30 quid a ticket to go and watch the T20, and they get these tickets subsidized for a fiver or whatever. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how, how it pans out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can understand why they're doing it. You don't, you don't want another T20 competition. They've sort of grown like pond life around the world. So I can understand their, their, their reasons for make it a little bit different uh, uh, and also the fact that they're a bit worried that um, Test Match Cricket at the moment is, is, the, is the largest value in their broadcasting deal. They just want to try and create a product that's successful around the world where, you know, can take a little bit of heat off the Test Cricket, which they think, I, or, or I get the impression they think, is, is on the wane.
2: Derek, I wanted to ask you as well about Ryan we where big fans of the Dutch international on the final word uh, probably talk about him maybe maybe more than is warranted, but, you know, he's one of those players. He's got one of the best uh, one-day international records ever still, you know, got 500s name, from 32 got innings. Name. Got a great name, starts well, Sachin Tendiskata. Um He's he's sadly only played 33 one-day internationals because uh, the Netherlands don't get that international status. So I haven't had it for much of his career, but nearly... 200 first-class games, averaging nearly 46. He's just had such an outstanding career, and uh, to see him get this uh, success towards the back end of it with Essex, made that 100 a, a couple of weeks ago against Surrey.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know him that well, to be honest, but he, when I when I have had dealings with him, he's always been a very charming uh, and modest chap, and uh, I, I agree with you. I think he's uh, he's had a fantastic career. I mean, he's, he's getting on a bit now, which is why I think Essex has decided to split the captaincy at the, at the club giving Simon Harmer the white ball stuff. And it's their their idea, I was told the other day, that, you know, a bit of succession planning. So I think, you know, I don't know whether Ryan will do it next year, the Red Bull cricket at Essex, or whether they'll hand everything over to, over to Harmer. But uh, he, he's done a great job the last few
0: years. Uh, Derek, we couldn't get you on the final word and not have a little bit of a chat to you about your brilliant book from last year, Pushing the Boundaries, Cricket in the 80s. Uh, I mean... It, I think it was a book that anyone that read it couldn't put it down because it was, well, let's be honest, it was salacious. Uh, you told plenty of, <laughs> you told, most cricketers tell their, their, their story about playing cricket. That's the first book they write when they're done. They, they, you know, they, you, you, you hang up the boots and you, you, you pen a, a book, usually ghosted by somebody else, not that you'd ever use a ghostwriter, Derek. But um, but in your case, you've, you've waited the better part of, what, more than quarter of a century, and then you've had a crack at doing it, and you've told us a lot about that incredible decade that you played in. A decade of change, shall we say, from when you first started uh, the, the degree of professionalism towards the end of the decade.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the reason I didn't, I didn't do a book earlier is that I just thought, you know, what am I going to say? It's all, all pretty dull, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to kind of, obviously, if I was going to do one, kind of you know, make it as, as, as honest and truthful as possible. Without dobbing too many other people in, um, and, and 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 therefore, yeah, um, the eighties seemed a good sort of decade of pin on. Now I happened to be there. It, it was a time of change. I think um, I say, you know, at the start of that decade, players and 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 the media were p- pretty palli. They they often be, be found drinking together in the bar, but by the end of the decade, you know, writs were being issued, etc., etc. As the as the tabloid wars, uh, you know, went went full full force etc uh, etc et and and everything was game um, uh, England England um, weren't a great team in that decade they they won a few ashes series but uh, Essex were a fa- fantastic team and as I say in my book uh, you know I thank my lucky stars every day that I, I played my cricket for them because uh, they were talented but knew how to enjoy themselves as well
0: it, it's been described as a love letter to Ian Botham, as much of anything towards the after. Yeah, day. I so, don't get that. I don't get with, that. With, I mean, with respect to that,
1: there's one chapter I, I, I big up <laughs>
0: BB, but you know. Well, I, I guess with, with that, uh, I suppose that, that the way it could be inter- interpreted is that you said before you you didn't want to drop anyone in it about the nocturnal activities. But did you have to seek permission from some of your former teammates and colleagues that you were going to write um, quite openly about you know the off-field stuff that happened a long time back?
1: Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't actually speak to any of them. No. <laughs>
0: don't
1: worry. Don't worry. As, as Jeff will know, the lawyers have a good look at these things. <laughs> uh, they they wouldn't let anything pass. There's, there's a few things that are excised, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> Otherwise, you just cross your fingers and hope for the best when it comes out.
1: Well, I was think publish and be damned, you know. But the, the lawyers don't see it that way.
2: No, well, some of them are more flexible than others. Um, I suppose an interesting part of your life is that it hasn't been all about cricket. You're not one of those obsessives. You, you've got much broader interests than that in in terms of music and and the culture more broadly.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, well, I mean, I I, I wasn't set on uh, perhaps having a, a cricket career until the very last moment. I mean, I was I was uncertain about it because the pay was pretty terrible um, in county cricket. Um, I mean, I joined Essex in my in my gap year between school and university, and Mm. uh, I'd I'd had a bit of a flavour of it. And thinking, well, you know, (laughs) to save up a long time before I'm able to buy a house, etc., etc. But then I kind of guess my mind was made up for me pretty quickly when when they picked me, somewhat surprisingly, to play for England in my last year at uni. So, you know, I thought, "Blimey, let's let's give it a go. See where it goes. See where it heads. See where it leads."
0: Yeah, it's one of the interesting things about your career, really, is that that intersection in the book between county, country and Cambridge, at least initially, when those three competing interests were – I mean, obviously, your study prevailed and came first. That wouldn't happen these days, would it? It wouldn't be a scenario where a player would, would dedicate their time to finishing their degree and committing to what they needed to at university before going full throttle at cricket. I mean, you had to balance that quite neatly through those few years.
1: Well, Alistair Cook's case in point. He was, uh, I believe, offered a place at Cambridge and at Durham University. And uh, on balance of probability, when he, when he started you know, making r- runs for Essex, etc., and, and got on an England A-Tour, he decided not, not to go. Uh, and I always said to him, you know, that's a big mistake. But uh, <laughs> I remember when Michael Vaughan's knee went pop in India and he turned up uh, from home being flown halfway around <laughs> the world in the club, he looked at me and he said, you still think I'm wrong not to go to university? And he, I
0: suppose he had a point. Speaking of your days at Cambridge, something that I've, I've, uh, I've often thought about asking you but never got around to is that that scene in Chariots of Fire which you appear in your Cambridge kit, I suppose you would say, how did that come about? How did it turn out that you, you were in one of the biggest motion pictures ever filmed?
1: <laughs> well, it, won, it won an Oscar. I don't know about one of the biggest, but it won an Oscar. You're right. Oh, I reckon it might be. Um, uh, wow. Well, uh, nice of you to say so, but um, um, no, I, I mean, it's just a mundane story, really. A, a guy uh, who was recruiting for extras happened to be in my college, and uh, uh, you know, he mentioned it, and I just thought, well, it's a good way of getting out of nets for a couple of days, so uh, uh, I went for it, and we, we got a, we got 10 quid for our troubles and a free haircut. A bit like your haircut now, Colin.
0: <laughs> not, not quite as good as mine, but, you know. You can so, hope, mate. You can hope. It's a bit like joining the army, isn't
2: it? You get get a few bob in your pocket and a free haircut. That's about as good as it gets. Well,
0: that's
1: it. That was it. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it was it was interesting seeing them because that that scene that I'm in was uh, was uh, sort of uncut for about a minute and a half. It was quite a long scene, and they started high up on a hoist, and it took all day to do it because although the cameraman was sort of had all these fancy counterbalances, every time he just touched something, it would it would tilt the camera, and he have to do it again and. Uh, <laughs> it was fascinating to see it work. I mean, the main stars weren't there that day, but, um, you know, it was it was in, intriguing.
0: If you want to see Derek uh, in, in his cameo, I'll make sure I tweet out the, uh, the scene. It's on YouTube somewhere, I'm sure. Um, before we put the podcast up, uh, Derek Pringle, it's been great to work with you the last few years. It's been wonderful to have you on the show to talk about um, your your mighty Essex County Cricket Club and, of course, your book "Pushing the Boundaries: Cricket in the 80s If you haven't picked it up yet, do so. It's in all the usual places, and it's a rollicking ride. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, my
1: pleasure, guys. Thanks. You're listening to the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon.
2: This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thank you to Derek Pringle for being on the show. And now, as we come to the end of the program, it's time for a quick round of Nerd Pledge. The Pledge. Of Nerds, where people send us numbers to challenge us to see if we can work out their cricketing provenance or significance. They do this via the mechanism of the patron platform, which is a way that people can subscribe to the podcast, throw a few bucks our way and keep things afloat. You go to patreon.com slash the final word. You put in a pledge and it might be something like 2 Dollars and nine cents, and that two oh nine will make mm. us think. Mm, what is two oh nine in cricket? Well, last and then week we'll work it out.
0: <laughs> well, last week when it came up, we talked about Ricky Ponting. We did. We talked about Bobby Simpson, but we also know that it was other things as well, don't we?
2: Well we do um and and this week the 209 has come in again from gordon luckman and thank you gordon last time it came in from damian billington we talked about graham pollock we talked about Rohit sharma in 2013 but there is another 209 that we did not talk about last week and that 209 Mm -hmm. was made by basil butcher in 1966 now if you're a you know, a, a casual cricket fan, the name Basil Butcher might not leap out at you ferociously and sink its teeth into your neck. But he played in that great West Indies team of the 1960s. And when Garfield Sobers led them to England in 1966, he led them to a win, I think it was 3-1 over England in that series. And, and it's one of the great West Indies teams. Conrad Hunt was in that team. Rowan Caney was there. Uh, Seymour Nurse, Gary Sobers, Wes Hall, Charlie Griffith, Lance Gibbs. And so in that side, um, the West Indies, they played a test match, Adam at Trent Bridge at, at that lovely old ground of Trent Bridge. Mm. Nurse made ninety three. They were bowled out for two hundred and thirty five, and then England made three twenty five, so a lead of ninety runs. Jeff Boycott got a duck out second ball, LBW. Sobers, see you later. I am um, Colin Milburn. Remember him, the the giant, you know, yeah. the, the very large gentleman who, uh, who Jim Maxwell said was one of the best fielders he ever saw, and, and one of the most. He came up batsmen. last week. He did briefly, um, but he played for WA, I think, for a season and batted the ball to all parts. Tom Graveney, who became a, a selector, was he, um, later on in life, made 109. Mm-hmm. Colin Cowdery made 96. So England were leading by 90 runs on the first innings, and it looked like, you know, the, the, the match was really theirs for the taking. And then the second innings, Rowan I makes 63.0. Nurse makes another 53. Sobers makes 94. And Basil Butcher makes 209. And he was a bit of an underrated talent in that side, you know, averaged mid-40s in Test cricket. Uh, Excellent, excellent batsman. Um, Richie Benno described him as the hardest batsman in that side to get out. He made 209 from 416 deliveries, 22 boundaries. They made 482, so they set England 393 and then bowled them out. And it was Sobers... Wes Hall, Griffith and Lance Gibbs. What a bowling attack who got rid of the English, shared the wickets around. Lance Gibbs, of course, the, the greatest finger spinner in terms of prolificness until Nathan Lyon passed his 309 test wickets. Wes Hall, the one that Jim Maxwell always talks up as being the one of the, the most thrilling fast bowlers to watch in action with his long run and that intense pace. So what a test match.
0: Part of what I love about Nerd Pledge is when one of us gets in a roll, we can learn a bit about cricket history. I'd heard of Basil Butcher before I n- knew what era he was from, but I didn't know an awful lot about his... Um, his career, other than the fact I know he's a bit of a mainstay in the in the 60s for the West Indies, but that's a nice little story. Thank you. I'm having a quick Google of him now and seeing that he's also the first West Indian who, well, rather, he's the first player who represented the West Indies who was also of Native American descent. So, mm. you know. Bit of history there too.
2: Yeah, and um, a, a fine player. And I think he also had an important part in the draw they had at Lords that sealed that series win as well. So I'm going to say, Gordon Luckman, that your 209 was definitely a Basil Butcher reference in that series. In that series, by the way, Sobers, 641 runs, 17 wickets, and 10 catches. <laughs> <laughs> to win that series, like candy what and he was bowling a mixture of pace and spin, so when you know when Wes Hall or Charlie Griffiths got tired, he would sometimes come on and bowl fast, left arm fast, and then he would revert to bowling spin when he needed to preserve his energy a bit so. Garfield Sobers bowled 49 overs in the first innings of that match Then made 94 And then came out and bowled 31 more overs in the second innings
0: So much for managing workloads and you know, stress fractures and so forth I mean, geez, they were just made differently then More to the point, I just, there must be something in that That they were able to have play He was a freak, that wasn't he? He was different gravy But the, um, the idea of bowling that many overs and not breaking down You know, amazing um,
2: absolutely extraordinary stuff and bowling a mixture of um, wrist spin and finger spin with the left arm after bowling left arm pace yeah no worries got you covered um we should quickly do a couple of non-nerd pledge pledges as well because people can just sign up with regular numbers so i like to we, we like to imagine things about our subscribers when they sign up so hello to sandy who has signed up who i think is sandy's the yellow dog from the home hardware ads um, from the early two thousands, wasn't it? Wasn't it?
0: No, yeah, no. I, I think it's, um, it's, it's it's Olivia Newton John has decided to drop in, a, ah, in a pitch, which is great. I mean, I'm thrilled about. Um, I'm thrilled to have um, our Olivia um, as part of the mm. Final Word community. So, thanks, Sandy. Thanks, Olivia.
2: You've got chills. They're multiplying, and you Indeed. are losing control. Uh, Hugo Sharp has signed up, who uh, was one of the founding members of the late nineties uh, double bass based band, The Sharp who were famously taken off by The Late Show when they did their um,
0: seminal yes. send-up
2: song, Skivvies Are Back.
0: <laughs> Skivvies Are Back, which ended up charting. We went through it last year. Yeah. Skivvies Are Back. We, we went through the 1993 um, music charts as part of the Greatest Season It Was podcast and, and we were able to establish that Skivvies Are Back ended up somewhere in the top 30 on the ARIA charts at the time, <laughs> would you believe? So got to love Australia.
2: So thank you to Hugo Sharp. Uh, Russell McFarland, Adam, has signed up.
0: Uh, f- founded the Akubra Hat Company, which which John Howard ended up um, making so popular during his time as Prime Minister. I think it should be compulsory, if you're the Australian Prime Minister, mm. to wear an Akubra hat. I think it should be part of the job description. <laughs> I-, I don't think it happens enough.
2: <laughs> like, you're never allowed to take it off?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, look, be- better that than, than uh, no. Um, actually, I was going to make some crude political sledge about our current Prime Minister, but I'll let it through to the keeper.
2: Well, I'm just thinking, like, you know, how far does this rule go? Is it is it that you can never remove the hat? You know, you've got to sleep. Like in the Molly hat. Meldrum. Yeah, you've got to shower yeah, in the no, hat. It's,
0: it's, <laughs> you... Yeah, as far as I'm aware, Molly Meldrum's never taken his hat off. No, so, um, ever. <laughs> so um, the same applies for Australian prime ministers. They go into the parliament. Yeah. wearing the akubra hat developed by Mr. McFarlane out right. their Pleasure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So, so the hat. Uh, I'd, I'd like to think the hat is um, ceremonially applied by the governor general. You know, sort of <laughs> like you you kneel to receive the hat, and then you will wear the hat until your successor <laughs> takes the hat from you. <laughs>
0: We're onto something here. Then they'll, they'll, they'll have to seek the services of Greg Matthews and advanced hair down the track. They have yeah. wore a hat every day. Well, hair, hair starts falling out.
2: But then, but then there'll be the sort of duel for the hat. You know, that's how a spill will be concluded is that the challenger takes the hat from from the current PM. <laughs> and they have to fight each other, Adam, in Mortal Comb Hat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finish yeah, him. It. Um, we also have a pledge in from Andrew thank you Andrew Um, could be my dad don't (laughs) know it's nothing else to go on there could be Andrew Gaze
0: could could, could be Andrew Gaze I had a look at his NBL stats the other day someone posted it on Twitter no one's had a career like Andrew Gaze the amount of he led all comers in point scoring for 15 years on the bounce he went to five Olympic games he played in an NBA championship in 1999, one of Australia's greatest ever sportsmen and now a member of the Final Word community. Thanks, Andrew. Gaze. Thanks,
2: Andrew. And, and, but, and yet the only thing I remember him for is that at um, Eltham train station when I was at primary school, there was a large billboard in which Andrew Gaze was spinning a glass of water on his finger as though it were a basketball with the slogan, drink more water. And everybody like, says thanks this. Andrew.
0: Everybody, everybody from your part of the world talks about the Andrew Gay's billboard at Eltham Station. Yep, you are like the fourth person in my life that's brought this up.
2: It comes up all the time that's because really, every time I walked past it, my childhood friend John Truman would look at it and then do his Andrew Gay's voice and go, "Drink more water," and that was just <laughs> that happened probably daily for about seven years. So, you know, <laughs> some things never go away. Um, thank thanks, you, Drew. thanks Andrew, and um, thanks also to Paul Smith if. Paul, if you were trying to give us a name that we couldn't really make a joke about, Paul Smith is, you know,
0: (laughs) it's pretty high up on the the list. Yeah, he does make the suits that are in his name. But other than that, um, (laughs) we we haven't got a lot to go on there, do we,
2: really? Yeah, Paul Smith was, you know, he's um, a phenomenal ice cream enthusiast. Paul Smith has been known to eat a four-litre tub of Neapolitan in one sitting. By the end of it, he just uses it. He starts with a spoon, ends with a straw. That's how the transition what do you think you could
0: goes. Do, if if pressed, if pressed, yep. if you had a tub of two liter Neapolitan put in front of you, could you do it? W- what I can
2: tell you is what I have done, and, <laughs> and 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 what I have done for at one breakfast sitting at, at about ten in the morning, maybe with a bit of a hangover, was I ate a liter of Sarah Lee like butterscotch caramel, and then I chased it with four peppermint cornettos. <laughs>
0: Uh, (laughs) This is like, I mean, um, uh, uh, when we were in Manchester four years ago When we we made a big spaghetti bolognese having not not eaten for a couple of days When we were on the road uh, And then you put in an entire bag of potatoes into the (laughs) spaghetti (laughs) I've never seen a man do anything I've never seen... (laughs) Never seen things like that happen before. Sometimes um, there was a there was a moment in that Hobart that, that the, the Hobart debacle, the mm. Australia all out eighty, the week that Donald Trump was elected as president of the United States. Not a good week for humanity, really. Um, no. you, you, you were. It's a shame that test didn't go to one. We'd we'll go to the fifth day because we, we had planned to have an eating competition between you, Andrew Wu and Rob Forsyth of, uh, our two of our colleagues from the press box. The three biggest eaters I've ever known in my life and Greg Baum was going to write the match report. We had the whole thing sorted out um, <laughs> and unfortunately the test finished prematurely. Australia collapsed for the second time in the match and we weren't able to go through with it but I would have loved to have seen you in a dead set eat-off against those two blokes. One day we'll make it happen.
2: I'm game for a contest anywhere, anytime. But, um, (laughs) you know, this was situational. I think there was a house move on the cards and the ice cream had to be consumed within a couple of days and I thought, well, I've I've got a good head of steam up. I'll just keep going.
0: (laughs) It's a shame you're not here at the moment. When you, when you were staying at our place, you know, you know that I, I I stack away a fair bit of ice cream in the freezer there, and we've got to eat all of our ice cream before the before the builders come in on Monday to smash through all our kitchen and start. Renovating the house, you'd be a, mm. a great asset this week
2: oh, oh, well. I'd, be, I'd be a contributor to the community. Um, <laughs> and, and lastly, on the non-nerd pledges, I'd like to send a very special thank you out to Warren Lush, who we've mentioned on the show before, but he's he's cranked his way up to the next level. There's a there's a a thirty dollar level where if you stick at that for a while, um, it's it's a rewards based thing where we want to give people the option of informing an episode of the show. So, you know, you can give us, you can decide what we're going to talk about basically or you can come on the show and do a cameo yourself. And so that, that's an option. There's, I think, five of those were on offer and two of them have been snapped up. So there's a couple um, still available. but So Warren has gone, he's gone big guns. Um, so, you know, a it, big thank you to Warren for his support of the show. Love your work, Thanks, Mr Warren. Lush.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much.
2: So let's get back on to the Nerd Pledge numbers. We'll just do a couple today. Shane Thomas has come in after Gordon and Shane Thomas has gone 2.32 and uh, that has a familiar ring to it, Adam.
0: Well, we, we've had 2.32 two before, I reckon, and I immediately said Stan McCabe and thought I was very clever and then we were informed on Twitter at a later date that it wasn't Stan McCabe. But- that's it was Amelia Kerr last time, wasn't it? It was Amelia Kerr last time, that's right. But I'll, I'll just you know, recap that it was the innings that, that people say was one of the greatest ever played. Christian Ryan's written beautifully about it. He wrote about it on the... Oh, I'm trying to think what anniversary it would have been. Anyway, it was an anniversary of the 232 where Chris Ryan put pen to paper for Cricket and mm. and I can strongly recommend that. Um, uh, 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 defining innings alongside the, the Century majoring body Bodyline.
2: Um, it's Yeah, Amelia Kerb made the highest score in a women's one day when she made 232 against Ireland. Stan McCabe at Trent Bridge. Um, Viv Richards also made a 232 at Trent Bridge, so it's a big ground oh, nice. for 2 three twos. Bradman's 1931 at the Oval um, yep. at the end of that 1932. And also Andy Flower, when he was in India and had that crazy test series in India, he made 540 runs in four innings <laughs> in India in, in two thirty 2001 thereabouts, I think. Yep. Um, and and one of those was a, a, an unbeaten two thirty two. So it's a, a pretty good. I'm going to say it's anti flower for the sake of difference. Because yeah, why let's not? Do it. I think Shane Thomas is a big flower fan. It's springtime. It's time for flowers. Flower power. Thank you, Shane. Jack James has come through with two eighty six. Adam.
0: Okay. Two eighty six. It is the game. That's the number. That's the myth, isn't it? That's the. 286 made off one ball story ah. that you occasionally hear.
2: Hang on. It, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think I know the detail. Walk the guts of it, it is
0: is that there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a stateside playing in WA, okay, a Victorian stateside, and in a, some sort of scratch match, a ball gets stuck in a tree from the first ball of the game, I reckon it was, and the umpire said instead of being um, lost ball... That The ball was visible It wasn't lost And by extension They could continue running And the Victorian batsmen ran Right 286 times While they sought to find an axe And in the end They ended up shooting the ball Out of the tree And by that point The openers Had crossed 286 times And Victoria declared And you often See it Described as The most amount of runs Ever made off a ball Right Now you also hear it debunked from time to time saying it's bullshit. It was, a, it was a myth in the Australian papers in the late 1800s and it never actually happened. But either way, I want to believe that's what this 286 has to do with.
2: I, I think it's a very good I claim that that's probably what it has to do with. I'm just looking up some stuff myself. So Crick Info wrote about it at one point and said a, a more verifiable claim is is in a club match in Australia when 17 was scored off a ball, when the ball was hit into a patch of long grass and the fielders couldn't find it um Gary Chapman was the striker and and his quote was that they ran, walked, and finally staggered our way to the world record of 17 runs from a single ball. So I'm going to say that if they were... If you think about it, it's 22 yards. If you're buggered after running 17 of those, how are you going to run 286?
0: You'd be dead. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem likely, does it?
2: Um, you'd be, even if you were walking them, you know. But, but the yeah, and the anecdote popped up in an English paper about a game in Australia but was never reported on in Australia. So probably bullshit, but definitely the Nerd Pledge number for Jack James. We're calling it 286. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. Nathan Vaginal has come through with 203, Adam. 203. There'd be lots two, of those as scores. There'd be lots of two oh Well, quite a few 203s have been made.
0: 203 has relevance to the summer that's just finished, Jeff. 203 was the, were the number of runs England needed on the fourth day when they resumed at Leeds. Uh, and, of course, they got there. Thanks to... Ben Stokes. So looking at the newspaper report here from the day before, it was all about a Yorkshireman. Joe Root needs to make a century, a big century to give England any chance of staying alive in the Ashes series. Little did they know the bloke on two not out would go and make the, well, hard to argue, the the greatest hundred we've ever seen uh, and maybe the greatest innings ever. Amazing that we saw that like four weeks ago, wasn't it? Um, well wow. jeff that we we just witnessed that anyway um, so yes yeah, so 203 that could be that it also could be looking at the australian numbers for cap numbers another player with relevance to the final day of a test, Ken Mackay, Slasher Mackay, mm-hmm. who of course was out there with Lindsay Klein at the end of the test at Adelaide, which was drawn uh, in 1960-61, the so Summer. His cap number was 203, Slasher Mackay, the man facing that last over from Wes yeah. Hall. So so relevance uh, on, on both fronts there to the end of a test match.
2: To two great finishes. Um, it's also, I, I realise we've kept saying that Brad Hodges... Highest score was 206. It's not. It's 203. So, you know, we've been wrong for weeks about that. Um, I think we've got that backwards because he played six tests and so we've got the six in there in our heads instead of – so the 203 could be a Brad Hodge. But I'd like to think that it's specific enough to say it's what England needed to win on the fourth evening when I got on the podcast and said there is zero chance, it is impossible (laughs) – for England to win, they cannot win. There is no way that they can win. I would like to think that that is when nathan said i 'm going to pop in a little two three i't
0: imagine they had a- imagine England had have got out of jail that day at old Trafford after We, we, we went just as hard there didn't yeah. we? We were like there 's no way that England can possibly save that match. The ashes will be retained by Australia tomorrow. Within an hour of saving that game, they were in the end. So yeah. That would have been quite, quite fun. but not to be.
2: <laughs> I would have, uh, as, as happened at Headingley, I'm very happy to be wrong if it was an entertaining way of being wrong. Um, <laughs> let's wrap it up, I think, for today with Steve Duhigg. So thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Steve. Uh-huh. Steve has come through with 114. Do you, Steve. Is
0: it, do you know Steve? I do, I used to open the bowling with Stevie, he's a great man, He, he uh, Western Districts University of Canberra Couric Club We, um, we, we played uh, there together in, uh, well it would have been 10 years ago remarkably When Nathan Lyon was the club captain before he went on to take 370 or whatever it is test wickets that he's up to So uh, Stevie, uh, a lovely man, a, a school teacher, a, a beautiful bowler and I'm, I'm glad that he's now a nerd pleasure as well What's his number? No, 114 114 Oh, okay. So, 114 is the amount of test matches that Colin Cowdery played, but I don't reckon that'll be Steve's no. reason. Um, Curtis Patterson made 114 not out against Sri Lanka. At Canberra, at... Mar- this is it. Oh, yeah. Curtis Patterson made 114 not out at Manuka. So, the Canberra connection. Okay. When... At, at um against Sri Lanka in, in February this year. So I'd be surprised if it wasn't Curtis Patterson on okay. that basis. What else is there? Curtis Patterson. A few more.
2: Curtis Patterson currently the highest average in test history on 144. He's <laughs> um he's he's well he's he's almost 50% better than the Don at the moment. So um he may well stay that way. Um we
0: saw
2: a, We saw 114 this last summer Adam. Tammy Beaumont made 114 against Australia in the the 50 over game.
0: Yeah, the second one day at Leicestershire. Yep. Um, I wish I wish more people had have um, seen that innings. Actually, it's probably one of the best of hers uh, so far in international cricket. It was a wonderful hand mm. with wickets falling around her. England didn't get up that day, so it was a hundred in a losing side, which the, the great cricketer guys always love. Um, but yeah, beautiful, beautiful innings. Uh, there, her first Ashes hundred. Faka Zaman. Made 114 in the Champions Trophy final. Oh in yes,
2: of course. When he was just just teed off, slogging and dragging across the line, edging over the slips, everything had to go. It was crazy. John's with a bunch of white goods, <laughs> um, and out they went. That was an entertaining day. I'll tell you what, there's a couple of pretty blue ribbon ones as well. I'm sure it's Curtis oh, Patterson, right. but um, Sachin Tendulkar's one in Perth, the famous. Oh yeah, the famous <laughs> 93,
0: is it thereabouts? As a kid, yeah, 991, 92, that would have been the last test of that summer. So.
2: When he was 16. And then as far as 16-year-olds 16 16. making 114 go, Mohammad Ashrafal on debut when he made that famous oh. 100 for Bangladesh in his first test match before he got busted for spot fixing and kicked out of cricket um, some yeah, years later. He did,
0: later, a, lot, he did a, lot, a lot in between times, didn't he, Ashrafal? He, he had a busy but, no, career, Mohamed Ashrafal. He did, he did. Oh, good, good stuff. That's a nice 114 as well, but... It'll be Curtis Patterson, thanks to the Canberra Connection and the uh, great Western Districts University of Canberra Current Club, uh, the 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 Western. District's Cricket Club is there, known in abbreviated form. They're a great place. Uh, it's a great club. I'm really thrilled to have represented them for a couple of seasons and glad that many of them still listen to the podcast.
2: So thank you to all of our nerd pledges for signing up and supporting the show, keeping us afloat. Um, we're nearly at the mark that we set ourselves of 281. We wanted to get to the great VVS Laxman's mark. So we've got 278 subscribers on the Patreon page at the moment. Once we hit 281, we're going to get Cam Fink to cut together another little video for us um, and put that out on the Patreon page uh, as a patrons only thank you so if you want to sign up and see what we've got up there already um and what is going to be put up in the weeks and months to come then just head along to patreon.com slash the final word and you can help us keep doing the show week in week out
0: yeah and just to recap a few of those points from the top of the show adelaide live show 27th of november the melbourne live show information up soon but probably the monday before the first test of the summer that will be Um, I think it's Monday the – actually, I'm not even going to guess. Monday before the first test this summer, you'll be able to work that out yourself. Um, The the, the ratings and reviews have been helping enormously in terms of the the chart positions and all the rest of it, which is great. The more people we get on there, the more people that listen makes the world go round. Patreon.com forward slash the final word. The website, finalwordcricket.com is looking fantastic, Jeff. We've got a lot of good content on there. We put some of our photos up there as well, so if you're into looking at what we do uh, week to week, you can you can kind of see a bit more behind the curtain on that front. Uh, what else, Jeff? Am I missing anything? No, I think that's it. We should do some thank yous. Thanks to Sat Phone Shop. Thanks to Jay Mueller and Bad Producer Productions and the team in there, DC and Astrid, for making this show uh, run so smoothly week to week. We've got some um, episodes coming up in October, which will be standalone shows, which won't necessarily be about the week-to-week of cricket. We've got a climate change show coming down the pipeline. We've got a T20 show coming down as well, which will be focusing in on uh, the history and intricacies of the shortest form of the game. There's a great new book out uh, from Tim Wickmore and Freddie Wild, which deals with that. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with them. And, And as you know, the show will be back every single week in October, November, December, and in perpetuity, if we have anything to do with it, Jeff,
2: Well, yeah. Thereabouts. I never like to commit, you know, too much. I would like to, you know, I, I would rent a sat phone rather than buy one. I'll put it that way. <laughs> this has been another episode of The Final Word. We'll be back as soon as we're back, and we'll see you next time. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. And Thanks to Derek Pringle for jumping on the show today. We'll see you next
1: time.